I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. I'm back after another lengthy delay. Uh, in the past three months, I've probably only been home for about two weeks, so the podcast has been kind of slacking lately, but uh, it's airing a little bit more regularly now that I'm home. Uh, on my end, I have a couple interesting developments. The first one is one that I might have already announced last time, I don't remember, but I have a new track on Cocoon's new uh, yearly compilation entitled The Letter P. Uh, my track is called Sunbreaker, and you can kind of consider that one a one-off. It's kind of this melodic, open-air, big-room sort of vibe, something that you might have found on my older music, but uh, I'm finally happy that track made it out. Uh, it's not something I'm really playing so much these days, but uh, I've always been a fan of it. Aside from that, I have a lot of new music coming along. None of it's quite finished yet, but I'm hoping to tie it up in the next probably month here. And uh, even though I don't do remixes so much anymore, there's a couple of those coming as well for some, some good friends. And uh, lastly, Enemy Records merchandise is on the way. T-shirts, sweaters, bags, you know, the usual shit. Um, that stuff's actually already been finished since spring, but I haven't had the time to get it out. So hopefully by the next podcast, I will have some information on where to where to get it if you're interested or just check it out. So that's all for that news. This week's guest is Black Asteroid, a.k.a. Brian Black. Uh, Brian's music career started off years ago with his band Halo Black, and he also started to work for Prince as a studio hand. Uh, some years later, he moved to London and created a new band called Motor. I originally met Brian about 10 years ago when he was touring with the band, and we've kind of kept in contact from time to time ever since. Over those years, it got pretty big. They did two or three albums, I believe, and if I'm not mistaken, they went on tour with Depeche Mode, which is kind of a big deal. And uh, eventually, Brian decided to start a new solo project about five years ago called Black Asteroid. So along with Motor, uh, both those projects would find a home on Chris Liebing's record label called CLR. And uh, after Motor's final album, Brian went all in on the Black Asteroid project. So five years and a number of singles and remixes later, he has an exciting new announcement. Uh, I'm not sure if it's exclusive to this podcast or not, but it's relatively fresh anyway. Brian has just finished the first Black Asteroid album. After a long day of mastering and final touches, he stopped by my place to chat about it. We also chatted about his unique sound and stage presence, which is sometimes controversial in the conservative world of techno music. And we also went in-depth on his involvement with the, the fashion world, because he's kind of ingrained in that now as well, and other things like collaborations. So I hope you enjoy the interview, and speak soon. Bye-bye. All right, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome back to Berlin. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. I, uh, we're also sitting here with Douglas McCarthy and... Uh, We've been drinking whiskey for a couple hours, so you're going to have to catch up I a little bit. I have to catch up, yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sober right now, actually. Yeah, you're coming off of a little bit of a studio mastering session. You want to talk about it or keep sure. it under wraps? Yeah, I mean, I had to have a clear head this morning. I had, um, I was mastering my, my album. It would be, I guess, my debut album as Black Asteroid, something 
that's been in the works for, I don't know, four years or something. So uh, I was quite excited to get that done today. So I think I deserve a drink now. Yeah, why not? Uh, how many how many tracks do you have to master that? Um, sixteen. So I'm, I think the album will be ten, and then I've, I've you know, we have about six B sides. I I almost think like there's two albums there, but that's and that's a conversation I'll have with the label another time. Okay, are you are you able to say what label yet, or keeping some of those details under wraps? Um, no, I think I just signed to a label called Last Gang, and they're like an indie rock label. I mean, they do a lot of electronic stuff, like Crystal Castles and stuff. Um, and they just merged with a major and so, um, I've been talking to them for like a year and then finally we, um, we agreed to, uh, give it a go. So yeah, after, uh, CLR sort of went on a hiatus a few years ago, maybe not like a year ago or less. Um, I was happy to transition, uh, and find something, um, that, uh, find a good home for my album. Yeah, I think it's, uh, especially with the direction you're going, it seems reasonable to kind of fill that void that kind of cross-pollinates in both worlds. Exactly, yeah. Where did my wine glass go? Oh, here it is. Or is this is this yours? Uh, uh, this is mine now. <laughs> yeah, all right. Anyway, so, um, yeah, you got, you got this new album kind of coming out on this label, but... As you said, this has been uh, something that's been coming into play for four or five years now. Um, I've wanted to do an album for about two about two years. I've been I've been ready, and um, you know, obviously, the thing with CLR set things back about a year. But I'm happy because the album now is much better than it was a year ago. I think that's another interesting point to bring up because I had a similar thing. Well, it took me about four years off and on of starting and restarting an album, stuff like yeah. that. And what I initially thought was the finished product was mm. far from what it became so that people good. know now. Yeah, and it was, it's always going to be better, I think. And I, I was giving this advice to uh, one of these guys I'll leave unnamed. You know, we were talking about albums. I'm just like, well, listen, here's the deal. If, if the label's unhappy with it now, so be it. You can't really change that. But if you go back and do it again, like or update it or rewrite it, mm. I think you're ultimately always going to be happier with the next result. People are welcome to disagree with me, but I feel like that's the general consensus. I agree. I mean, not not it doesn't apply to every case, but for me as as well, because I was able to write a fresh batch of songs, and then then I could cherry pick over through everything I did in the last five years and, and make the album I you know wanted to make. So it it benefited me and you as well. So I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, but this isn't your first album, so we'll, we'll kind of briefly talk about sure. your your history. Uh, before Black Asteroid, you toured as Motor, right? Kind of a, a band, sort of a similar vein, but more. Was it, would you say it's more leaning towards rock or yeah, electro it than than techno? More. It started out more techno, but it it ultimately was more electro style compared yeah. to what I'm doing now. Yeah. And then prior to that, you uh, you worked with Prince, for example. Sure. And uh, as a as a technician and stuff, so you, like you've got a long history of of being in the studio and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think I was thinking about that today. I, I probably um, this is probably my it's my debut Black Asteroid album, but it must be like number eleven or twelve for me. What do you, would you say? It's I mean, because Black Asteroid's a, a singular project. Yeah. Um, is this so? What, is it your first solo album? It is sort of. I mean, I uh, my first band, Halo Black, was uh, essentially a solo project, but I was working with 
guitarists and drummers and all sorts of session things. musicians yeah and they and people i travel i toured with but so black asteroid is essentially my first solo solo project so this album you know this project is um i take it much more personally it's, it's like a culmination of everything i've learned all the shit i did and all the mistakes i made and you know i tried to um create this project with all that in mind i got gotcha. you and so um I mean, the Black Asteroid tracks traditionally have had like a pretty balls to the wall, peak time sort of feel, like a lot of energy behind it. Uh, so the album format doesn't always necessarily lend to that. Mm. Um, I mean, is there some softer moments on there, or is it pretty much a straightforward dance album? Or no, I, I didn't put any of my singles on there. You know, the engine one, all the crazy stuff. I, I didn't. Uh, I left that off. But I did write a new song in the style of, of Engine One, but. No, it's more, I have a lot of vocals. I have some ambient pieces, some experimental pieces without any drums. So um, some songs are 45 seconds, you know. So it's 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 a different, it's it's not a it's not a dance record per se. Okay, so it, it definitely expands upon what could be a Black Asteroid uh, track, like that whole world, for example. For sure, yeah. All right. And, um, I mean, I, I want to get into all of what's going on with the black asteroid thing here shortly, but we'll just kind of rewind. Like I said, um, when did you first start doing, I mean, of course I'm guessing you're a musical dude. So you are probably banging on, on stuff in a garage with a band at some point or whatever. But when was the first like serious studio project for you? Um, I think it was like around 94. Um, I started halo black. Um, it's pretty much, you know, I wasn't so inspired when I heard the first nine inch nails record, pretty hate machine. And, um, all the music at that time, including Nitzreb, um, really inspired me to make music. And I wasn't, you know, classically trained. Um, I played piano, but um, it was the computer that made me a musician. I mean, I'd, I'd learned how to really manipulate software and, and hardware, and using the computer is really as a, a creative tool. So totally, then, and that's how I was able to make records all by myself. Yeah, I mean, like, for me personally, uh, it, again, it's the same thing. Like, I, I did band in school and stuff like that. Played a variety of different things, but I was never really good at any of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once I got my hand on a computer and it, I took coordination out of the equation, yeah, it allowed me to, like, actually be... Well, if you want to call it a musician, I, I think musicians actually kind of play the instruments more, but, like, to be a producer, to, yeah. like, actually yeah. get the music out there... And, uh, you know, I mean, it makes me really, I get really jealous of like true, I, it doesn't even matter if it's a rock star, but like musicians, I get out there and just jam and stuff like that. Cause I don't, I just don't have the coordination for it, but mm. I do have the ear and I know I can put things together. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, especially with the advent of things like Ableton and Fruity Loops and whatnot, this whole computer era, it allows people to become musicians that weren't able to before. And that's there's a good side and a bad side. Yeah, it allows to that. people to become assholes too. Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. You know, me and Douglas earlier. There's some certified assholes. Yeah, but there's a lot of good people out there. Like you're a good guy, and, and you know, I've wanted to have you on the show. I think you have interesting perspective, and also to, uh, you know, because right now this project is taking place in like the techno realm. Yeah, which, you know, a lot of the people that come on the show are, um, you know. Not purists, but like people that really are into what they do, and it. But it's it's still kind of a narrow-minded thing. Like uh, 
for example, like the whole stage performance and stuff like that, that's yeah. not a thing that's really common no. in techno. And it will divide some people. Some people really start to love it, and some people are like, "There's no place for that." Yeah. And but my my opinion, and I think my job at the show is is to uh, offer up, you know, a, a floor for people to be like, "This is why it is cool, or why it isn't cool, or you know what I mean." Yeah. And uh, the whole world of of techno doesn't have to result revolve around somebody like Jeff Mills or whatever. I think there's more to it, you know. That's kind of why I started Black Ass Radio. The first song was like a fuck you statement because I thought techno was so boring at, at that time. And I, that's why I came out with this industrial techno song, you know, before uh, the industrial techno movement was even around. It was just like, I, I was trying to make a statement. I was like, I, you know, I love techno. It's been at the foundation of every project I've ever made. And um, I just got frustrated that um, it seemed kind of stuck. And then, um, yeah, that's it. It's just more fun to add some more to the mix, you know. I mean, uh, why not? What's wrong with a vocal here and there? What's yeah, know? totally. I mean, and like I, I remember like when you started to because for those uh, who don't know, we actually met in Berlin about ten plus years ago. Yeah, like, yeah. What was the club called before it is now? Maria. Maria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so we met there and kind of kept in touch with loosely or whatever because. You originally have Minneapolis roots, as do I, and yeah. you know, whatnot. And then I remember you're like, "Well, I've started making some techno again, and I'm not exactly sure." You know, oh, yeah, you, you describe right. what vein it was, and you're like, uh, "You know, but I, I haven't been able to keep up. I've been so busy with motor." And I was like, "Well, you know what? Chris Liebing loved uh, what was the big motor track? Sweat was it? Sweatbox. Sweatbox. <clears throat> yeah, played the hell out of that. Did he ever make a remix? Of he that did too? remix. Yeah, it, yeah, and I was like." You know, um, people like that, you know, that you've already paid, they've given you the attention before, like, you know, talk to them. And then you, next thing, you know, you have this great uh, thing started with Chris over the years, you know? Yeah, thanks to you. I, I literally just sent him that track and um, he wrote me back the next day. And he's like, I don't know what that, what I, what you just sent me, but can I release it? I was like, okay. I didn't know who CLR yeah. was. I mean, I know Chris, but I, I didn't realize uh, CLR was so significant you know, in the, in the well, scene. And that, that was like a really prominent time too, because the podcast was really kicking off. Yeah. Uh, you know, the B port thing was still pretty big, like sales and whatnot. So it was just, I think it was all about being in, uh, not just for you, but the whole, whoever was associated with it, the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people was, um, associate me with CLR. I actually never did a record for them. I did multiple remixes, Yeah. five or six podcasts. So it's like, extended family perhaps but yeah. I, you know, I was never really a uh totally a part of it but it, it was such yeah. a big thing in europe for a while yeah in was, the states too yeah but um and so how many records do you do with clr uh i think i did like three or four eps maybe five we did okay. some remix eps and, yeah. but but at the same time you you also released a motor uh album with yeah them. it's yeah we did a motor album and some motor singles on uh, clr yeah and um that you had Douglas on that almost too, right? I Douglas, think. Uh, Gary Newman, Martin Gore from Depeche Mode. Yeah. And, um, really nice remix package. And yeah, stuff and too. Chris got some amazing remixes from everyone. Yeah, and I mean, I like the one thing that I also, I mean, that's always been, you, you're you a big um, fan of fashion and just design in general. And like every time you do a product, it's going to have a interesting artistic edge to it. Like I remember that Motor album, didn't it come also in like the, 
not the tinfoil wrap, but what's the, the, you know what I'm talking about? It was like, yeah, it was. And uh, you got to like break the seal to open it or whatever. And Yeah, it was like one of these anti-shock resistant. Exactly, bags, yeah, bags, that you would yeah. find in hard drives or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, like, even from that point when you started Black Asteroid, it seemed like you kind of had this idea of where you wanted to go with it. I, I think the visual side is half the half the package. You know, a lot of people would just want some scruffy bedroom DJ, you know, faceless DJ playing techno. And I love that. I, I love mm-hmm. hearing people play 10-hour sets and you don't even see their face. I get it. You know, that's cool. Yeah. But for me, um, I wanted to present the music as you heard it. You know, I wanted to have a visual element. And that's the thing I care about, packaging, even down to the sunglasses or whatever, you know. I, a lot of people gave me a lot of trouble because I was wearing black, you know, Rick Owens stuff. And and then a year later, every DJ wanted to wear Rick Owens. You know, everyone was asking me for a discount. How, where can I get this? And it's like a year ago, they were just trashing me because um, I'm wearing like black clothes. It's true. That thing has really changed in the last few years, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, you know, because when we were first kind of talking about it, and like you said, you were more aligned in the rock world, and you're like, uh, we're just kind of talk, chatting techno like a show like this just kind of bullshitting about whatever and I remember you know because you, you were saying that like you want to do it kind of as a performance like not necessarily rock but like with that energy with that stage presence yeah, whatnot. and I just remember sitting there thinking like no nah, that's not going to work because like yeah. I was so and I still am like accustomed to the like you said the, the whole faceless techno like yeah. heads down yeah. like in the zone kind of thing. Yeah. And at first I was kind of like, I don't know, this isn't, I don't agree. But as time goes on, yeah. I realize like not everything needs to be the exact thing. And yeah. uh, I think there can be a place for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not everybody has to be on board. Not everybody has to to hate on it either. But like, why does it always have to be one way? Why does it have to be I like, agree. not everybody should have to wear an underground resistance shirt to show that they love techno. Well, like, I know. was it Jeff Mills that said techno is like a futurist statement, and he was saying how frustrated he is that techno is so fucking conservative. You know, this is a movement which is supposed to be innovative and open, and it's art, you know, but people uh, regard it as, you know, this precious thing which cannot be tweaked. It's got to remain in 1997, and uh, that's the thing I never understood is why is it so conservative, you know? It, but um, it, well, it's I mean, changing. It's, Obviously, now it's you know, like I wasn't, you know, I wore sunglasses, but now you got headless horsemen. You got all these DJs are coming out with like you know, hiding their face and wearing costumes and stuff. Our rows and, and so it's it's definitely come a long way in the last few years. I'm not the only guy now yeah. who's dressed. Well, I mean, that's to, always been a part of the culture. Yeah, and it's always uh, been under scrutiny or praise, depending on which side mm. of the fence you're on. Yeah, but I mean, um. You know, like I said, everybody has it. And the techno is so broad that, for example, you can go out and hear somebody like Donato Dazi do the coolest, most groovy, psychedelic techno set that you're going to hear in a long time. Or you can go out and hear someone such as yourself or Chris Levy or whatever, mm-hmm. just like, uh, you know, this total onslaught for two hours, sure. which is really has a completely different feel. Like, it's a very broad topic. And. I don't necessarily think anybody is wrong. Absolutely, or, you no, know, no. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think there's room for it. And I think like uh, there's 
a place for whether it's a costume or a performance or whatever. And it's it's interesting to to see it done like however someone chooses to play out their persona, for example. It's, it's just for me, I'm just being myself. I'm not trying to like you know, wear a costume. I just I just wear black clothes or whatever. I'm just yeah. myself. I'm I'm not I'm not acting or anything. I'm just I Oh yeah, totally. It's a sincerity thing. Yeah, you know? it's just what I, who I am, you know. And I don't, I could give a shit what if you know people what they think really, because I just have to make myself happy and and uh, you know seeing how the audiences have keep growing and and obviously I'm onto something, so it's working. So I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't second guess myself anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I find it's it's easy to sometimes question things, especially if. Uh, Let's say it's a, a not as fruitful period of your career. Yeah, you know? yeah. Then you ask qu- hard questions. Yeah, of course, but and... I mean, ultimately, when it comes down to the the best records I've done or the best choices I've made have been things where I didn't give a shit right from the get go yeah. with my gut what the answer was going to be. Yeah, whether it was choosing the right agency or choosing to or not to work with a certain person or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I mean, so I I don't think that there's you know, for example, when you have uh, you're a big fan of pushing not just the music, but you have this image and whatever, and it's like you, it's a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Part break with me here for a minute because I've been drinking for a couple hours. But like, y- there's no uh, you're not gonna bend for anybody. You know what I mean? Like this is the way it's gonna be, and there's like a certain confidence that comes with it, and I think that's fine. Yeah, I you mean, know? when I played Bergheim, I. I I didn't wear sunglasses, for example. No one's taking pictures. Yeah. There's no cameras and lights in my face, and so I, you know, I respect the culture of Bergheim, and I didn't, you know, I don't wear, you know, whatever. It's fine, um, and I'm, I'm totally, I, I, I could care less, you know. I, I'm really flexible, and so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm just I, my own thing. Could I have some more wine? I was just gonna say your glass is looking a little empty. Thank you. Um, so while you're pouring, I'm gonna take this minute. I mean, like. Because while we're at it, um, whether let's all right, here's the deal: whether you're on board with the fashion or not, as you go out to these shows and whatnot, it's becoming more of an apparent thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, like let's take for example, people like uh, you got you know Richie Hot and Dubfire and all these guys who are also interested in wearing Rick Owens and uh, similar designers or whatnot and and whatnot. And uh, I mean, you know, I know some of these guys and I genuinely believe that they really like these clothes for example but then at the at the same time um when i think of some of these performers and whatnot and especially the ones that you know are like now pushing 40 or even in towards their 50s yeah uh i mean imagine some of these guys showing up in like a north face jacket or something like that it's uh it it would be kind of crazy you know what i mean like if you're at like a a rave or something in 1996 or whatever in a busted ass warehouse yeah it wouldn't matter that's totally fine yeah. but when you are the headliner of a festival for twenty thousand people in italy yeah. uh or wherever holland and you show up and you, you wearing like an under armor stuff like you're working out it doesn't it doesn't live up to these young kids expectations that like you have this kind of legendary larger than life thing you know and for some people that doesn't matter like it's about the music and I am one of those guys. It is about the music, but it doesn't hurt when, you know, you're trying to inspire these people and, mm. you know, fashion's a part of it, whether you want to agree with it or not, I think. For me, it was, an, it, I came into it by accident. Um, 
I was watching YouTube, some Rick Owens fashion shows, and I heard my music, and I um, he was using my music, so he kind of came into my world first, and then uh, that got in touch with him, and that's how we became friends. But um, it was like a mis- I kind of mis- just accidentally stumbled into the fashion world and doing music for these these designers and things like that. What? Okay, so. Um I mean, we're we're going into the whole fashion world here, so I'm just going to dive into this because I have a I have a bunch of questions that like uh, I think a lot of people are curious to know about. First of all, obviously you're a big fan of Rick Owens. For example, is are there other designers that you like you really follow closely that you're a big fan of? Yeah, I mean, I like Julius, Japanese designer Boris uh, Saberi. Um, those are probably my my th- three go to brands. Um, but of everything, Rick just um, suits me. I feel more comfortable in wearing Rick clothes. It's just more like he has pockets everywhere, and he's it's like so uh, functional as well. And you know, it's not just about some crazy, you know, cut or some weird shape. It's it's like really functional. Like for touring, his clothes are amazing. They're built really well, and um, so I I always fall back to the Rick Owen stuff. Okay, so I mean, like, let's put it this way. Um, on this show, there's going to be people, of course, that are listening to that follow the fashion world, so they know exactly what you're speaking about. They know the quality. They know uh, the details that you look for and whatnot. But there's a lot of people that listen to the show that maybe they either a can't afford it or b they are largely opposed to whatever. Like, what would you like? How would you describe these people? Like, what makes some what makes it stand out for you like is it the detail that goes into it the quality like um you know what i mean i i i'd never judge anyone i mean i i i don't i i just wear it because i it personally um it makes me it just it's just like functional and i like the way it looks and i like the way i feel but the the difference i guess is you get what you pay for you know you do get what you pay for um if you buy a $2,000 Rick Owens leather jacket. You're going to have that for the rest of your life. Well, if you want to keep buying stuff at like Zara every year, you're going to be It'll buying... add up anyway. Yeah, exactly. So why not just buy something that's high quality that's going to last you a lifetime? And um, so it's not out of reach. I mean, anyone can save up for a pair of shoes or a jacket because they spend that money, you know, anyways on all this um, Main Street, you know, brands, whatever. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean... The thing is, is like for me, I don't, I don't really subscribe to what I would like say is high fashion, but I'm not afraid to spend a little bit of money either on stuff. I like nice things. Yeah. But what I really notice with, uh, it's not even fashion. It's just everyday stuff. Like, you know, for example, I went camping in August and I made sure I got quality stuff because I'm, I've gone through numerous tents over the years and they're all shitty. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy something nice with quality and that will last and it's the same thing with clothes you know i have to say like when it comes to jeans for example i've bought really expensive jeans that end up going to shit right away i guess it comes to knowing your designer yeah and i've honestly like h&m jeans are perfect for like those Berghain nights where you're gonna have half of your drinks spilled on you all night sure sure so um when it comes down to it you know that that part of it is fine I, I don't really care what people buy, but I know for me personally, uh, it's regardless of the money, it's what the materials come down to. Like if you have a t-shirt that's uh, 20 bucks versus 
a hundred bucks. Yeah. People are like, what's the difference? It's still a black t-shirt. Well, it's, I mean, there's a difference. It's a lot thinner. Like the Ray Cohen shirts are super thin. They rip, but yeah. they're not just like this thick, you know, military. It's cotton. breathable. It's not this synthetic stuff that, I don't know. Some of it makes people itch, for example, or whatever. Yeah. And so that's the difference. Like, every, everybody's got personal tastes. Sure. But you know, and I, you know, I, I tried before. I never have owned like a $2,000 suit, but I've, was was fitted for some of the stuff before and it's like when you put on something like this it definitely has an entirely different feel yeah. you're like okay i can get it i wouldn't i wouldn't pay two thousand dollars for the suit i guess if i was working wall street or something without question i would do it but um you start I, and i don't even know necessarily that it was worth the two grand but you start to realize like okay this is why you're paying more money this is a premium product it's, it's so, it know. fits your body better. It's not just some generic uh, baggy clothes, and it also inspires you to to take care of yourself. Like when I started, I got my first Rick Owens jacket. I, it was fit, you know, it's really tight. And I was like, wow, I want to go. You know, I'm gonna lose like ten pounds and get in shape, and you know, and it inspired me to take care of myself as well. So, um, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, and otherwise you look you look horrible in these clothes if you're out of shape. So that kind of keeps you on your feet. But getting back to your point, it's just you like nice things. It's like if you're a visual person, like I'm a graphic designer, I like to surround myself by nice things visually, like art, you know, and like mm-hmm. and it comes down to clothes or or whatever it is, and that that's what it comes down to for me. It just like have it doesn't have to be expensive. I just I just care about the execution, the design of things. Sure. In my life, I mean, when it comes when it comes down to it, it you know, not just in this, but for anybody in life how you surround yourself like whether it's with whom or the shit in your house or whatever i think that makes a really uh big difference in your life yeah like for example you're sitting at my place now you see i have a bunch of windows and stuff yeah it's beautiful panorama yeah and um there were other options i could have went with that had like more space and whatnot but it was important to me to have like a very uh you know nature view i got all the trees around me and stuff like that and uh to me, that's important, and I really think, you know, sometimes you go to people's houses and they're a bit, uh, I you know, I, actually, my place is kind of trash because I just came off of playing gigs. I got gear all over on the floor right now. Yeah. But, um, so it's not even so much that, but they're just kind of like, you can see these people are unhappy in general, and it's just like, well, uh, not saying that you have to have a fancy-ass place, but you can tell, like, this isn't where they want to be. Yeah, or, you're not, you, know you want to be inspired in your living space. Yeah, and I think especially if you're an artist, which yeah. pretty much anybody that listens to the show is an artist or a designer or aspires to be, yeah. the most important thing is to have a constant inspiration. And I remember I, I talked to you about it one day. We were texting because you were talking about how you like to keep scrapbooks of various things that keep you inspired. Sure. And I'm the same way. I have a bunch of... I'm totally one of those guys that will buy all these coffee books Yeah. from you know the most random ass things yeah but like i try to look at that stuff every day and i'm not gonna sit there and be like oh i see this painting now i'll write a picture to accompany it but i think about you know like for example you take like uh we got basquiat over there which is a very pop but uh obvious answer that i can speak to people about like uh i love his artwork but then you kind of read up a little bit in this book about like what his kind of uh where his head was at during the time whether he was broke or whether he was famous at that point or whatever and you start to realize like uh kind of through other people's not eyes but just like what they went through their experiences and i can get a grasp for that and kind of take some inspiration away 
You know what I mean? Yeah, and like I think we had this conversation. Like, if you, it's kind of fun to write a piece of music um, inspired by a, an image. So, like, if I keep a folder of inspiration, well, inspirational images, whatever, and if I see something that really grabs me, you know, it really intrigues me, I'll, I'll try to write music that fits that visual. So, I'll try to create the audio component of that image in my mind. So that's that's an ex, it's a different way to write, I guess. So when when you're writing music, this is actually, uh, I don't know, a lot of people are on different sides of the fence right now. You have people who will sit there and say, I don't write music with a certain venue or uh, event or something in mind. I just write it for then and now, and this is what it is. And then you have people that are like, when I wrote this record, I had, you know, this place in mind or this city or this, you know, I was... 22 and single or, or all that kind of shit like what kind of guy are you i i do my best writing when i'm like i'm feeling really angry and re revengeful like if i if i'm in a club and i think i i really wish i want to hear this kind of techno song right now i want to hear something that's going to stick out and really grab people and then that inspires me to go home and to maybe make something really bold and min, you know really stripped down minimal industrial techno um so it's good to write when you're inspired, you know, a lot of times I'll have a song in my head before I even go to the computer. I kind of worked out what I want to do. Um, so I like to write like that. I don't like to go in the studio and noodle around, yeah, take drugs and make loops. Um, there's a time and place for that, but I like to be focused and go in and know what I want to accomplish before I, you know, turn on the computer. I find the same way. Like if I go in with that mindset, that's when my quickest and best output comes. Right. Is with the, the best idea, idea mind. take the last, the least time. Yeah. Um, but as you said, there's a time and place for everything, and I think there is a point where it's really good just to jam out. Like what yeah. I'll do is I'll Experiment. record shit Mistakes. for like a yeah. month. Uh, I have a studio, but then I'll bring like the synthesizers home here, and it's just like nonstop hanging out, jamming stuff, whatever. And then you know you have hours of stuff to scrub through. Right. And you can eventually throw that into products later on, you know. It's that's that's part of it, you know. That experimenting, you got to experiment. You got to make mistakes, and then you find the most amazing things from these mistakes. It's a, pro, it's a process for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, so but you don't you don't walk in and be like, okay, this track. You you have the feel or the vibe in mind, but you're not like this is totally written for awakenings or something. You're not that kind of person. No, but like for my album, I I, I knew that I wanted to do a couple of ambient pieces and you know or I want to do a couple of vocal tracks like this so I it was kind of nice when I was doing the album I could you know pick different flavors different you know things I wanted to convey so that at that that's one example when you kind of have to you make something with with an idea in mind mhm mm and so what i mean um with the future going forward with the album uh do you plan to do just like kind of a a live tour or will it be both DJing or just DJing or I what's the, I mean, right now I'm kind of, I'm it's bringing, pretty early. I said, so, you know, yeah, I'm bringing out some, I'm using a lot of modulars now in my DJ set. So I'm kind of doing this hybrid thing now. And I, I've had some live vocalists join me in my sets, mm -hmm. um, cold cave. So I'll be playing a techno club. And then like I was playing with Chris leaving and be, I was between me and Chris. I I did a live thing with Cold Cave on vocals, and it was just it was so cool. It was just kind of to have that in a in a techno club, to have like someone with the stage per, you know presence of Cold Cave singing over a techno track. It was just really cool, and I I want to explore that further. I don't want to do like live rock shows, and it's it's always going to be you know techno. I just want to 
create some sort of element of danger in 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 a, in a set. And you know, like when I see a DJ, it's so safe. You know, you know, it's like everyone's bopping their head, and the hours go by, and people are drinks. You know, I get it, but I want an element of danger. I want, you know, something, some sort of anticipation, and I'm just trying to bring that with now with the modular stuff and the live vocals so it's 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 evolving i don't know what what i'm going to do but I, you know i, I really want to have like a live production someday i'm not sure what that don't tell you but so i mean you know i i know like for example you were doing uh was it it's called pitch black the series of events yeah i started pitch black um it's like a label it's like um i did it after the clr thing and i i wanted to put out some music and I always wanted to make a record with leather, um, and obviously I couldn't do that with Chris. Um, so when uh, I started Pitch Black, I, I decided to make a 12-inch and uh, encase it in a, a leather sleeve because I just wanted something I always wanted to do, and having my own outlet for that was perfect. So Pitch Black became a label, and then I started doing some podcasts, um, and then I did some events, some shows. Um, so it's kind of like my own little thing. Whenever I want to experiment, um, I can I can go to it. And I did yeah. a T-shirt recently, like a black on black T-shirt. Uh, so pitch black is just like uh, unique products, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that you brought it up because I was going to go into all that. But the, so like I guess what I was going to get to is I, I do plan to do like pitch black events surrounding the album or yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna right now i'm just doing lots of uh fun random gigs whatever but i'm gonna switch to doing more um album tour themed um things in uh, 2017 probably in the winter i'm gonna try to do more tours uh around the album and um um it could be a pitch black thing i'm not i'm not sure yet okay and I mean, like you're still based in New York at the moment. Yes, yeah. Is it safe to say that you'll stay in New York for, well, forever? But for uh, the... no, I mean, I before that I was in Europe, and uh, I wouldn't mind to go back to Europe. I just don't know where or when. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm having a lot of fun in, in New York. I really like Brooklyn. I ne- I never was a New York person per se, uh, but um, I'm re- you know I'm really inspired you're now in it. New York. Yeah, cool. And I mean, like, yeah, it's crazy. You're traveling every weekend, coming over to Europe from New York and clocking in the hours and miles. I mean, yeah, my carbon footprint isn't so amazing, but um, I honestly, I, I enjoy flying. It's like I have my own personal time and space on a plane and, and I, you know, I just take the red eye, I fall asleep, I wake up and I'm in Europe and, uh, you know, no, there's no jet lag. Really? So I've, See, I'm, I mean, I guess maybe that's where it goes from being a nuisance to being a lucky person as far as being able to sleep on the plane. Like for me, I have this kind of... Yeah, it's not easy. I have this concoction. And coming from going back and forth to Minneapolis, there's always going to be that extra flight. But so I'll do Minneapolis to Amsterdam to Berlin and back. And, um, you know, I'll take the red eye, but then I end up... I'll have two glasses of wine, then I'll take the sleeping pills, I'll fall asleep, but I can really only sleep for like four or five it's hours. True. You want to be horizontal. So what you, yeah. what, what you do is you stay awake, and then when you get to the hotel at 11 a.m., then you sleep seven hours. You That's wait, what you, I do. You yeah. wake up, you go to dinner with the promoter, 
and you're awake all night. That's, yeah. That's like my new And then thing. you kind of, by the next day, you're totally fine. Yeah. That's how I do it. Yeah. But I mean, and you know, I can do it, but it was really getting grueling for, for a while. And like last year I did nine trips back to Minneapolis and back to Berlin. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that doesn't even include the South America legs and all that stuff. And it really kind of, for me, it's, it's growing old. Then again, I've, I've been doing the, you know, that X amount of trips for quite a while now. And there's there's other people from mutual friends of ours from the states that still do it quite a bit, and I just truncate, <laughs> truncate, devious, got way more airways than me, yeah. And it, I just can't. I don't know how they can do it anymore. I don't. I don't have it in me. I know. I, you always want it. The most frustrating thing is when you're tired and you can't be horizontal. It's like it's like torture. Yeah. I mean, and well, the worst part is, especially if you can kind of fall asleep, then it's fine. But if you're still sitting up and you're you're out of it. I mean, I, I can tell, I don't know what it is. Maybe you have this on airplanes, but I will constantly be kind of, uh, you know, fucked up from the wine and the sleeping pills, but yeah. still awake. And I'll be, it's I'll be, quality I'll, sleep, I'll be watching somebody else's display, their movie they're watching, but yeah. obviously without the headphones. I've seen so many movies without audio. <laughs> and I'm just guessing what they say. Yeah. You know, it's like, it'd be one thing if you're at a restaurant or a bar or whatever and you stare at somebody, yeah. like a guy or a girl for whatever reason, and then you get caught. But it's it's like that way with me with movies. I'm watching over the shoulder somebody else's movie like all the time. I have my laptop, I have my iPad, I have the thing in front of me. There's a million things I can do, but I'm like, oh, I'm too tired for that. But I'll still watch somebody else's movie. Right. It's bizarre. <laughs> I just invested in like a really nice eye mask and earplugs, and um, you just have to shut out all the light and all the all the audio. Yeah. It helps, but yeah, but sitting, it's not easy to sleep in a chair. It's it's not how we're meant to be sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But let's talk about when you do make it over to Europe. Uh, is there any places right now that are really going off for you at the moment? Yeah, I mean, Italy just is on fire. And it, it just happened so fast for me in Italy. Like in the last year, um, I was playing for like 50 people. Now I'm, I'm kind of selling out 3,000 capacity venues. Mm-hmm. And that happened really quick. Um, so Italy is my, my second home now. And then Hungary is becoming like my new Italy. So there's... Really? Those Hungary. two countries okay. are really... Like, yeah, I don't know where else. I mean, uh, yeah, Colombia is always good. Argentina is good. Um, even the States is there's, there's a lot more stuff going on. Um, Asia seems to be it's not as popping as it was uh, a few years ago. So I'm kind of anxious to build up Asia again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how some areas work out for people, uh, for some performers and others it doesn't. Yeah. You know, like uh, just yesterday I was talking to a band, which uh, they're pretty prominent, but I'll, I'll leave them nameless. But they're like, sure. man, we can't we can't get shit in the States. But in Europe, they're big. You yeah. know, there's a lot of that going on. That's always been the... And you can, there's no math or rhyme, reason to no. it. It's, you can never... But I think what it comes down to is the influence that comes from wherever. Like, for example, I played in Mexico. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Almost 10 years ago now at this point. And... I don't know how I popped up on the radar, but I did, and that's cool because it was a good time. I got paid. But then they were talking about the other people they're bringing in, and they were talking about these acts as if they were larger-than-life acts, and I never heard of these people. And yeah. I got nothing against them. I'm glad that like somebody's really appreciating them, but really what I knew from these people is like they probably had uh, one record out that was okay. But because you have you know, three or four promoters that automatically think okay this guy's cool now they have a career there yeah and 
that doesn't it doesn't matter what your music is or if it's good or not if if they believe in it then that's what happens you know what i mean so for example you or i we do well in italy yeah um there's other guys that i speak to like close Can't friends of mine they're like I man know. i play in italy once a year i know it's, it's you know yeah. and then i zach is also from minneapolis tv's yeah. one he's got a big following in the netherlands yeah i play in the netherlands probably five times a year or something and i swear he's there same every month if not multiple times per month yeah and um so i mean it's it's just really interesting you know japan i haven't been to japan in a while but i have friends that are there all the time um yeah so or london for example you know like i'm never ever in london but there's yeah. plenty of people friends of mine that are there playing similar it type seems of music weekly. i know saying playing the same figure. records because they send me their music and i play right. <laughs> you know what i mean so right. i know um Something happens. I mean, some some at some point you you connect with a certain audience and it just snowballs. Or one promoter, uh, you have a good show and it you can't really put your finger on it. But sometimes you just have those something um, magical happens and it just kind of snowballs in certain countries. Definitely. And so you were saying that like the states is going well right now. Is there specific cities that you kind of feel like? there's something really working for you right now, like that you're always happy to go back to or whatnot or? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, Brooklyn, there's, you know, you have warehouse parties every, every weekend. There's like three mm -hmm. or four techno events on the weekend. It was never like that before. So obviously New York is developing. Um, the, you know, obviously the big clubs are still doing more commercial techno, but um, there's a healthy underground scene in New York. And um, I mean, if you've been to LA, that warehouse scene there is insane. It's really picking up, you it's, know. It's like six or seven warehouse events on the weekend, and I was just after I played a show there in a legal club, you know, that closed at two, just went hopping all these warehouse parties in L.A. And I was so impressed. I was like, it's really amazing. Yeah, it's cool stuff, you know. Like uh, I know RA did their video, I think this year still about yeah. the L.A. scene, and. Um, I mean, there's so much. I mean, it's hard to capture all this, but they glossed over so much. Like, yeah. really, the scene's blowing up, and they kind of touched down that like there's things going on, but really, there's so much more to it than like that film gave a perspective to. Yeah. Um, you know, on any given night, there's a, a handful of of warehouse parties going on of various styles. You got like that kind of uh, cosmic disco thing that's still going on. You got. Uh, banging dark techno yeah. deep house you know the abiza shit like it's all over the place and then you still got a couple clubs uh in hollywood that are are going off yeah uh in those respective worlds so i mean it's I'll, it's not know. it's not on par with europe america but i mean it's there's some promise there you know if you look at what you know, like you said la new york i mean i just got back from chicago that was amazing detroit's always amazing um you know there's some stuff in texas yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I have to say, I feel like maybe a couple of years ago it was a little bit more, felt a little bit more positive about the yeah. future. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's always kind of been the case in the United States. There's always an ebb and a flow. Yeah. But overall, I, I still think that it's, uh, there's promise to it, and whether, I mean, the festival thing, I'm not into the whole EDM world or whatnot, obviously, but, uh, you can still go to some of these festivals and see like maybe yourself or Adam Bear, Richie Hot and all these kinds of people that like uh well I mean Richie was kind of 
around quite a bit back in the day. But like some of these European techno guys, for example, yeah, it was not so easy to get them over on the bill for these things. And now it's like kind of a they're here every month. Yeah, every states. So they're all, all the EDM festivals or, or all the major festivals are doing techno stages now, and and those stages are becoming tense, mm-hmm. and uh, it's becoming bigger and bigger. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's all about perspective, but I think it's it's not such a uh, gloomy scenario. So oh, to I speak. don't think so. And uh, I mean, still more than ever, I think uh, when you, especially in the regards to techno, the the people that are there are maybe the most dedicated. Uh, on the planet that I've come across, and they're there, yeah, they're there for the music. I mean, for sure. Yeah, you know when you know, when you go out in like uh, Europe or some of these other continents, of course they love it. It's a great time, and like just the parties are completely amazing. But when you come down to like this like educated basis, America's still number one in my opinion. Yeah, you know? it it wouldn't hurt some of the Americans to do a little bit digger deeping. They're getting a little lazy with the digital age and whatnot sure. podcast, but for the most part, they still know their shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very strong world overall for, mm. for techno. Um, do oh, you, for sure. You know, do you, because you have a, a wide range of music and right now your focus is on techno and it's so far on this podcast, it seems obvious that it's not going anywhere anytime soon. But do you ever see yourself returning to anything else, or is that just you cross that bridge when it comes? Well, I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing now, especially with my album, The Black Asteroid. Is like it's techno, but I'm I'm able to write songs with vocals. I'm able to make experimental songs, ambient songs. So those are always been my interest throughout my whole career, and I'm able to do it and you know keep it in the techno realm because that's that's where my heart's at, and I I don't see myself you know. Uh, drifting away from that so when you choose to do your gigs do you you know that being said do you prefer to try and keep things like more in smaller techno clubs or are you more focused on doing the festival circuit at the moment or you I, know, what, do I, you have a preference or you just you just want to spread the word for black asteroid no i like i like to dj in the clubs and then uh, do more of like a, a live show in the festivals like the big one hour bang set uh, but uh, you know, there's not nothing beats playing, you know, four hours in a in a club, you know. Really, yeah, getting deep in it. Yeah, so, like I don't always, I don't like to bang it out. I like to go deep in the middle of the set, um, and you only can do that if you're playing for at least two hours. It's true. I try to do it in shorter times, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, when out, you do so. the ninety minute or sixty minute festival set, and you you, you can't hit every. Nah, you just yeah. you kind of got to hammer it. Yeah, but I mean, so. I guess, you know, you, you, you do these short sets and you, you're focused on techno and whatnot. Like, it's it's clear, it's obvious that with the parties, uh, the podcast, the album coming up, like, there's you got so much on your plate that you're kind of pushing forward, doing the t-shirt and design. Like, this kind of work ethic, is it, does it stem from your time in, like, doing in professional studios? Or have you always just kind of grown up having a... Um, I don't want to say a mature workflow, but like a responsible workflow. Like you just want to get it all done. Like what's the, what's the driving force behind that? I'm just trying to, yeah. And it's just trying to do everything, um, you know, visually, musically. Um, it's just like, as long as I can, as long as I have the, uh, the avenue to do it, I want to do it. I want to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I want to make records and make crazy packaging and, um, 
you know, I want to make the videos and, you know, the shows. I want to do it all, you know, like, it's like going back to Prince, you know, like he directed the movie, he wrote the music, you know, he, he produced everything. And it's just, it's kind of nice to be able to fulfill your, your, your artistic fantasies, you know, it's like, um, that's why I'm kind of dabbling in everything, mm-hmm. seeing what, what works and what doesn't. No, I hear you. I mean, I, I definitely feel that way. Like I'm starting to realize, for example, the techno industry has changed a shitload since I've come around. Uh, you know, I started my, put on my first record quite a while ago. Thank you for handing that to me. Um, and the part of it is, is that's driving me kind of crazy is that it's changed a lot. Yeah. For better or worse. Uh, so I've kind of been coming to grips with that in the past year and it's like, well, where do I want to go for here? And I'm starting to realize like some of the, uh, I guess the artistic ideas or the meanings behind it. It's not that they don't exist anymore, but I feel like maybe I'm not going to get my rocks off in techno on certain parts of it. And I ha- it's important to branch out now. We well, can, I don't see why can't you? No, you can't. I mean, you totally can, yeah. but, um, the the thing is people really like to label people as well. Yeah. Like once you're in a boat, there's no getting out of it. Sure. So like for example, I'm I'm part of Drum Code, which is not a bad group to be a part of at no, all. Like no. it's done really well for me. I'm very proud of it. But there's some people that would uh not necessarily give me the time of day, even if it was a truly like let's say artistic project right. that reaches well beyond that realm. Um and or you know what but it's it's not even just within the the microcosm of techno it's like you know what maybe another genre even if it's not as like a prolific or big well-received project people might be able to uh appreciate that a bit more and i guess that's a bit vague without details but like let's say you want to do an ep that's more experimental or something like that you know what i mean you kind of have to you, yeah it keeps you fresh when you go back to techno you kind of have to fulfill those desires totally yeah so i mean i i guess now at this point i'm just kind of looking into uh where else i want to go and reaffirming a couple things like i think for sure you know i've been doing techno music for more than half my life at this point yeah so uh, it's safe to say for me i'll always do it in one way or another but um i don't know what's going to happen i i definitely think i see other things coming up for me in the future that uh are maybe a little bit more off the beaten path for it, you know? But it's good to try out different things. Yeah, I think you have to. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be frustrated. You have to. That's you know, that's what I'm always trying to do. And not you, you, you can't just please a certain fan base or, you know. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess for you, you you've really built, uh, talking about fan bases, because you, you're doing the techno thing and it's 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 widely received. But you, you've definitely created your own like niche sort of thing. You know what I mean? Because there's, like you said, the, the industrial techno thing has kind of come up with a lot of prominence in the past couple of years in various ways. Yeah. Some are more industrial where others are more EBM related or whatever, or just noisy, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, so for you, uh, you, you've successfully built this niche. Do you, do you see yourself like bringing on other people to kind of, to build a core group or anything like that or, or are you going to kind of just go lone wolf? You know, I, that's, I, I would love to have like a little uh, group, uh, like a community. It's kind of like what pitch black was about is bringing together fashion designers and techno producers and, you know, f- 
films and all that stuff. It's kind of what I've set out to do with Pitch Black. So I would love to. I mean, for my album, I'm going to make videos and movies and stuff and collaborate with, um, you know, film directors and, you know, people like that. So, I, I, you know, it's it's something I, I think is important to do, um, to keep pushing, you know. So we'll see what happens. So, I mean, I it's interesting, and I, it's a no secret, but I, it's really kind of been drilled into my head in the last few few weeks when I've been really, you know, doing this whole uh, introspective thing. It's it's very obvious that in the, especially in the dance music world, but definitely in techno too, there's not a whole lot of, like, collaboration going on. Maybe not even just necessarily on records, but, like, uh, reaching out beyond the, the spectrum of doing slip mats or, or t-shirts. Like, people are really, um, I don't even know if they're afraid, but maybe they just don't even think about trying to do other interesting ways of reaching out or saying like it doesn't just have to be this or that like for example you said you want to do like the leather thing or movies or you know what i mean like yeah i, I collaborated with a uh guidi in italy a leather maker uh fashion label and to make the sleeves and they they were totally up for it you know we got to make like uh this beautiful leather sleeve for a techno record and i love that i love doing that kind of stuff um I think people should collaborate more. It feels like people only collaborate with you if you have more Facebook likes. You know, it's like it's it's all about you know it's your very career, career driven. The, yeah. the whole ladder thing. It's just like um, I, I get so frustrated when uh, I see that. You know, we we can play back to back, but you gotta have more likes than me, and I'll do this remix if you do. You know, yeah, it's it's very focused on what can you do for me, yeah. or like will this hurt me, sort of thing. Mm. And um, it's 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 kind of depressing to see it go down that route because it, yeah. it didn't always used to be that way. I mean, there's always going to be a certain amount of that in any genre of music. Like yeah. uh, an amazing musician isn't just going to work with a shitty musician because he's a good guy, you know. Like, but uh, if you if you generally like what each other are doing, and there's time to do it, I don't see what the harm is in spending a day just to see like if there's anything potentially there. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh so yeah, that that's definitely something that I've that I've been looking into lately and I don't even necessarily know that I would reach out and start doing a bunch of collaborative records cuz the thing about well, not even just techno, but the thing is it's a very producer form of music. It's not like a bunch of bands or session musicians <clears throat> or anything. So it's like yeah. You get very when it comes to producing, it's a very type A thing like it's my way or the highway. And if you sit down in the studio with somebody, a lot of times it's really easy to butt heads. I agree. I when I go into a collaboration to a studio with someone, I find it's better to come in with um, the skeleton of a song already, because it's just so hard um, starting from scratch. I mean, it, it doesn't have yeah. to be, but when you're for, when you're put in that situation with just a, a little bit of time, because everyone's so busy, it's good to have an idea going in. I I feel. Yeah, and you kind of got to know when to take the reins a bit yeah you know it's really easy to like especially because i'm a pretty nice guy and i don't want to push push buttons not like literally like the drum machine buttons, yeah. but like someone's buttons yeah and i don't be like well that that sound is really fucking terrible i'm tired of hearing it for the last 15 minutes i don't want to say that but you're like oh i don't know and it's really easy to be too nice and then the record never gets made so you kind of got to know when to be confident and be like that's awesome that's crap or like i have this idea maybe we can 
turn it into something. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But the, again, that comes with finding the right the right people to work with. You know, you have um, it's uh, Blawan and Pariah, I believe it is. Yeah. What What do they do? It is Karen. Karen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody loves their live set, and I mean, it's a cool live set, and it's like, well, why does this work better than some other live sets? And the it's, the answer is obvious because they have a good chemistry. They know. Yeah. What's right? What's wrong? Same with Speedy J and Chris Liebing. Yeah. They they know when to take over and when not to. And yeah. Well, they have a banana. But yeah, yeah the banana. Yeah, For those who don't know, it's like actually they have a banana. If the banana is pointing towards Chris, it's Chris's turn to do Chris's thing. To do the low end. I think the banana represents the is low it the end. Low end? Yeah. yeah. And then gets, yeah. and then when the banana turns to the other person, it's like, all right, now your turn on the low end yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. So. But that that being said, do you do much for back to back sets or? I have been actually. Um, I don't know. I just find myself. Uh, I mean, a lot of times when I play with Dave Clark, we end up playing back to back. Like I did something with Gary Beck. It, it, it's never planned. It's just like we're at a party. I play a day played, mm-hmm. and hey, come over. Let's play a few tracks together. That's how. That's how it should be. It should be fun and spontaneous. Totally. But you see these festivals, like everyone's playing back to back to back. It's like it's only back to back sets, and it's it's, it's so a sales annoying. point. Exactly. Is all it is. Yeah. And it doesn't really work out. Yeah. It, you know, it it really is an awesome thing. Like you know, bringing up the same names. Like I've done back to back sets with Gary. Yeah. Uh, some of them have been billed as such, and uh, I don't remember how many we've done so far. Some of them didn't go so well. It's not that they went bad, but it was just kind of like, all right, it wasn't flowing perfectly. Yeah. And there was other times, like I remember actually in Paris, we did one which was both outside of our realm. Was even I would say they're a bit more housey. Yeah. And it was fucking awesome. Like yeah. it really went well. And actually, we were supposed to play separate that night, I think, but uh, the promoter. It's pretty bizarre. The promoter, I, I, my pickup was at two thirty. Promoter, yeah. it was three a.m. <laughs> okay, that was when my set started. The promoter still hadn't shown up, and they're like, "Oh my god, we forgot to pick you up." Yeah, and of course, the night's already running out. So it's like, you know what, Gary and I will just play back to back now. Yeah, and it went really well, and that's because it's all this whole spontaneous, just having fun thing. Kind of yeah. like if bands just jam out. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, I oh, agree. you're in town. Let's come on for a song. You know? Yeah. So there's that aspect of it. Um. So yeah, I mean, it seems like over the course of the of the when was the first record? Two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah. So first it's been CLR. five years. Yeah, yeah. It's been about five years. So the podcast, the label, parties, you know, an album, back to back sessions, and all that. Like, what what's coming up? Uh, I mean, of course, the album is it's technically still in production. So the fact that we're talking about it a lot is uh, it's a little early, I guess, right? But. Um, I mean, do you have anything planned prior to that? Be like singles or anything? Yeah, or? I mean, I, I did this remix for Corn. I think that's gonna come out, and then um, what else? Yeah, I mean, other than that, I'm just right now. I'm gonna try to drop something before the album. Um, but the problem with with um, with vinyl is it takes four months to produce it. Yeah. So that's why. Otherwise, I'd put my record out tomorrow. But um. I have to wait three or four months. Um, we're trying to make that even less, mm-hmm. and then uh, so that's you know obviously that's uh, three months. That's I'm gonna be working on that like right right now. And like ne- this month, I'm shooting a video with uh, Zola Jesus for one of our si- for my next single, and um, so between now and the album, I'll be um, you know preparing videos and in remixes and stuff. Okay, and what was so? 
you know, speaking of these collaborators, like, what is it that you look for in a collaborator? I mean, of well, course, you, you got to like what they do, but... You, you you need to choose someone who does something better than you in, in something. You know, it's like I, I chose vocalist because, you know, I have a limited range of my vocals, and I don't want to just do the, the techno vocal, you know? Yeah. So I chose, like, people who can really fucking sing, you know, like proper, you know, not, not not just like uh, Mariah Carey, but people who who sing really dark and uh, something that, that suits the music. And obviously Cold Cave, I mean, his vocal, you know, it's it's it's, it's like, a, you know, a marriage. It's, it's a match made in heaven for my music. You know, I could never sing like that, but that really takes the song to like the next level. I agree. And then I chose Zola Jesus because um, obviously I really like her vocal. And uh, and I chose uh, Michelle LeMay, Rick Owen's wife. She does kind of a spoken word thing. So I I choose collaborators who who do something who you know I, that I can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Prince. He would never hire anyone unless they they bring something which he cannot, which is always the horn player. See, it's the only instrument he couldn't play. He couldn't play horns. Is there a particular reason for that? Um, I don't know why he never picked up the horn, but he could never master the horn. He played every other instrument. And um, so that's the only people who he collaborated with. Otherwise, he would, you know, play every other instrument in the studio better than everyone else. But when you can't do something at the best of your game, then you then it's good to collaborate with someone. Of course. I mean, the best producer is going to be like that. You know, for example, you got Trent Reznor, who is... Um, made his career basically on that. Like he's even said in interviews, he's like, man, I know like three guitar chords. I can't do shit, but you bring in the people that can get it done. And then you kind of use their efforts and arrange it the way you want it. And then you got a product. Exactly. But I mean like, so you spent time with Prince and whatnot. Like there's a lot of people on the show that are producers or aspiring producers. Like, but they, they know it from a very, uh, contemporary bedroom or studio instance like is what kind of insight did you gain from working in a professional studio or like what did you take out of that that other people might not have learned working at home alone that helped you later on well i i I got to witness uh prince you know like with his lindrum and putting like uh things through distortion he's like pitching down kick drums and stuff he's like really abusing his you know the equipment but more than anything is his work ethic. I mean, he lived and breathed music. I mean, he woke up, you know, we would go to the soundstage, we rehearsed the live band, then go to the studio, record some songs, producing some bands. And in the afternoon, it would be like, um, we shoot a video, he's shooting videos, and then everyone goes home for like a couple hours, and then we come back and he does like this private uh, impromptu live show for like 50 people for like seven hours on a Tuesday night in minneapolis so and he did this not for money i mean it's what he loved yeah he just Uh, he lived it and you know that's it was so inspiring to see that because all we see now are just it's like commercial packages you know it's all mm -hmm. marketing and it's like who 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 are you you know what do you you know what do you represent and he was somebody who he was like the real deal it's inspiring to be around that oh i mean like you know i uh I was part of this uh, crazy thing this week. Uh, there was this music festival in Berlin put on Michelberger Hotel okay. or by them. Uh, it was also it was kind of curated by Justin Verne of Bonavir. Okay. Um, and then Polisa Ryan from Polisa, and then the Nationals. 
uh, national. And then, so basically they invited a bunch of acts. There was like over 80 people that flew to Berlin for a week. They got put up in the hotel for free. They were given studio time for free. And they're like, okay, you got four or five days to crank out these collaborations, which yeah. would maybe be 15 minute sessions or a song or two. And then for Saturday and Sunday, we're going to break up these time slots over the two days in various studios and stages. And you play this shit basically and other people hop in and jam. Cause you have like, there was also Damien Rice and the Staves and like all these kind of uh, people who are really talented at, at what they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, and I was kind of, I, I did a, a noise slash experimental oh, techno wow. thing. Cool. We closed out the main stage on Saturday night and uh, collaborated with a guy from Minneapolis named Albert Elmore. And, um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a producer. I'm not a good, like, musician. I can't really jam out, per se. Right. So, but I mean, I kind of did my thing in my studio, and I, we played it live, but I mean, I didn't have to do jack shit during the day, so I just sat around and took it all in. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, a lot of this music, uh, it's not necessarily something I'm going to put on at home, but as a producer and as a big fan of music, I can find the things that I really like about a performance. Some some of this stuff I was completely blown away. And like it's incredible stuff. Yeah. But uh, what I was getting to is Justin Vernon, who's the the head guy from Bonavere. He's another one of those guys that like when you're talking about Prince, that like they live and breathe this shit. Like, uh, just kind of watching him do his thing was incredible because yeah, yeah. from. I think the festival started at 10 a.m. or noon or something like that until right. midnight. This guy was playing on every stage with every group, kind of, and he was, like, taking the lead, not as in, like, uh, Elf Dog, you have to do this, but just, like, we can do this, try that. Like, yeah. this very producer mindset, like, and everything had to be, like, he's like, this is good, it can be done better, uh, and just loving every minute of it. And, and if he wasn't uh, playing... Yeah, he would be sitting backstage, and then you could be sitting there chatting with him, and then he'd be, he'd just be like stopping mid sentence, be like, "Are you hearing this fucking guitar right now?" Right, you know right. what I mean? Like, lives and breathes for it. And then, of course, it's natural for everybody to want to be attracted to somebody like that that can, um, that has that kind of like charisma that really lives for the music and stuff like that. And uh, it's inspiring to see that thing. And that's I kind of get that from what you're saying with Prince, where you're just like, you know. Yeah, that's this is what they do. Period. You know? Yeah, people who you just have to execute. Everyone has ideas, but it's just like, can you execute those ideas? And that's the key. And if you know, totally. And 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 some are better at executing it than others. Yeah. But uh, the work ethic is just incredible. And when it comes down to it, with uh, it doesn't matter what kind of music you do. A lot of the people on the show are doing techno and house and whatnot. Yeah. Um. The thing is, is it comes, it's it's a crude way of saying it, but it comes down to, I've seen the people in the industry, who loves it more almost. Right. I mean, there's like, you can love music, don't get me wrong, and you, you, maybe you just don't have the talent to make it work, but like, you might end up being a, a writer or right. uh, working as a manager in the industry or something. But it's like, whenever I find, I you know, you, you, you mentioned two names, you stack them up to, next to each other, whether they're DJs or bands or whatever, and one guy's more successful than the other. I, and you know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but nine times out of ten, I can be like, yeah, well, the more the successful guy probably loves it more. And I realize that's hard. It's a hard thing to like quantify. Yeah. But I mean, I you, you see their work ethic, their yeah. dedication, their 
they're not sitting around playing Xbox or something like that. This is no. their, but then again, that comes with that sacrifice. Are you going to sacrifice everything for that? Or are you a guy or a girl that loves to, um, be like, you know what? I love music, but I also love gardening or, or whatever, or hiking or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, so it doesn't mean that success is whatever you want it to be. But if we're talking about being prolific, being, making money, being popular, whatever those things that people like to use as qualifiers for success, how dedicated are you? How much do you love it? Yeah, you got to be so stubborn. I mean, obviously. Yeah. So that being said, um, it's obvious that you got some of that in you. You're working hard. And uh, we've been talking for a little bit here, so we'll start to wrap it up here shortly. Um the album's coming down the road, as you said. It's yeah. It's early on, and uh, what was the remix for Corn? Is there anything else like podcasts or something you want to plug? Well, I don't know. I mean, I some. I mean, I'm playing eighty uh, this month with Dave Clark at Milkweg on uh, October twenty first. Kind of an institution party there. It's always going off. Yeah, I, I usually do it every couple of years, and so I haven't done it for a while. But so I'm excited to to do that. And, I know we did one of those together. I think it was for Speedy Jay's party. Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah. that was like what four or five years ago now, or yeah, I think that would be like 2012. Yeah. 19. So yeah, you got that coming up. Um, Halloween, I'm doing. Uh, we in Sicily with um, Adam X and I don't know who else. Um, and then uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I think I have a China tour in December, New Year's Eve. We'll, I'll probably do like three or four shows in Italy on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and um, just just kind of do some random stuff until the album comes out and then hopefully it'll become more gelled and I'm sure you have a solid uh you know solid tour and uh definitely pay attention to those dates if you're a black asteroid fan hmm. uh and if you you know I'm I'm guessing most of the people that listen to this show have already heard of you cuz it's all a bunch of techno fans but if you haven't check out the stuff hit it up on Facebook Google whatever you know no point in giving the URLs people no, just gotta search for the shit um, and then is there anything recent that you want to plug that they should check out new fans or people that don't keep up as much um, well I mean I my last EP is, um, it's about a few months old maybe a little bit more I re-released Black Moon on Pitch Black the leather edition obviously sold out we didn't make enough mm-hmm. I, I thought $300 leather sleeve wasn't going to sell and I was surprised how fast that sold that's awesome though. just shows people like to have like a physical element to the music that know? well you know i mean that's i think that's kind of where it's going though is this sort of boutique thing where now when you don't when the sales aren't as much people like that you know for example jealous god always does like i think a little magazine and a cd i know Juan silent servant he tried to sell a knife with his last album oh, a okay. pocket knife and stuff <laughs> so i mean there you know uh i think it's cool to have yeah that kind of shit yeah because we don't you have, have cds we don't have vinyl we don't have, like lyrics and posters and stuff and I, I think people need to have like something physical again and we're in this weird time where we just don't we don't have that physical component to music and um until we figure that out it's just it's just fun to do like little random um experiments totally and i mean these days with the with the record sales and even the biggest artists it's just not making enough money to no. matter so you're like let's pour it back into packaging or cool shit because that's fun. It's artistic. The, the fans appreciate it. You're like, okay, I have something beyond that reaches beyond the audio realm of my music. So yeah, cool stuff. Yeah. 
Right on, man. Well, I know you've had a really long day. You were mastering in the studio. Yeah, I think, I'm gonna, over I think it's time to celebrate. I don't know what's where everyone is, but go, go Probably over, see over what's at John Muir or something. Yeah, so, yeah, I'll have to pop over. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, man. Uh, good luck with the album, and we'll talk to you soon. Cool, man. Thanks Bye. for having me. All right.